0: Welcome back to Ethically Sourced. This week, we're continuing our conversation talking about the equitable and ethical distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. We rejoin our conversation with Dr. Kevin Simon, already in progress. The question remains, is the ethical justification for prioritizing economically worse off racial minorities, uh, is that legal and ethical? Right. It is based on some of the uh, epidemiological data that we have. the fact that these communities have been hit harder, they've been ravaged, in fact, by this uh, vaccine. What are, what are your thoughts? So I, it's a great question
1: because one, we know that race is a social construct. Right? So um, folks who are born in sub-Saharan Africa do not consider themselves inherently black. It's it's when they migrate somewhere and are told, oh, you're black, that then race becomes a a significant factor. And so, unfortunately, in our country, race tends to be paired with a lot of um, unfortunate circumstances that we deem like, you know, determinants of health, right? So if you are black um, by identification, which you look like, you know, typically there's a tendency that you may live in a um, lower income area. Um, you may have higher rates of poverty. And so I think from the data thus far, despite race being socially uh, created, it is impacting those who get coronavirus by or death, higher hospitalization. So the idea that those who are identifying as Black, Black American, Black Afro-Caribbean, getting the COVID vaccine first, does sound reasonable. The challenge here is the precedent that's been set by our history would indicate that it is that same exact group that's going to be the most resistant to being deemed. Oh, you want me to be the first, right? Because it's going to be yeah. perceived as is this an ex- is this a- experimental? Is this um, some trick that you're trying to-, to do to me? And so, unfortunately. Yes, black and brown persons should probably receive it first, given the, the nature of the past, uh, essentially, past 11 months that we've seen. Yet, they're going to be the most resistant at receiving the vaccine. And, and actually, even outside of COVID 19, when we just look at vaccine numbers and distribution and administration, black and, and Latinos and adult persons tend to be lower on accepting of vaccine. So now you're, t- you're saying, the group that most often doesn't accept vaccines to now be the first to get a truly new and novel vaccine. It's its a hard road to, to travel for the public health personnel um, with regards to vaccine distribution.
0: Yeah, and that's from the perspective of the patient. If you look at it through the lens of policymakers, you're going to have some they are going to use the phrase reverse discrimination where they're prioritizing for this right
1: and and you know unfortunately things like quote unquote reverse discrimination to persons of color th- that doesn't necessarily like, sit well right so oh because you have been discriminating all these years all these centuries now you want me to be the first and again a lot of people that, that I've met a lot of people that ask questions um, you know we will say the phrase like guinea pig right it yeah, I can only I can only offer you know I've received it. I have other colleagues who are black and brown that have received it, but I, I understand from a policy perspective, and also from the evidence, right? Like, it, it is black and brown persons that are dying more, more, that are hospitalized more, that are going to ICUs more. I mean, even right now, as we're probably talking, in California, they're running out of ICUs, right? If you probably look at the yeah. the, the distribution of of ethnic diversity. It's probably because there are more black and brown bodies that are going to those ICUs. So I understand, uh, but, but it's going to be a hard road. And so it, it's important for persons like us, uh, black physicians, to be kind of a, a sounding board, say, you know, this is actually safe. I've received it, um, have not had any untoward uh, adverse side effects or, or, or reactions. Um, but yeah, the, the idea, you know, reverse discrimination probably could use better better language but but it is it is appropriate to try and target the population that is most affected when we're talking about uh, distribution of a very important antidote for disease. Yeah
0: yeah so but I, I think about it this way though we're, we're fighting this uphill battle we're going uphill both ways but we're trying to convince um, populations that have been disproportionately affected that they need this to help uh, decrease their morbidity mortality. But from a policy perspective, when people at the table don't look like these communities that are being affected, what incentivizes them to advocate that these communities receive any sort of preference? So it's kind of a a double whammy, right? We can't say this, we will give these communities more vaccine for those communities due to the mistrust that the system has built within them to then... um, still not receive that vaccine right so it's it's um on the policy front it's it's very interesting and to follow up on that this group the national academies of sciences engineering and medicine they recommended two frameworks to look at they mentioned first the social vulnerability index which was developed by the cdc um, and public health agencies to look at um, communities affected by natural disasters hurricanes earthquakes It looks at geographic areas of vulnerability based on 15 census variables. And these variables are linked to the disproportionate impact um, that those communities face at baseline. However, that directly correlates to the communities affected by COVID-19. And those 15 census variables include uh, poverty, education level, um, the number of personnel in the home, and race. So this social vulnerability index Actually incorporates race and this paper goes on to say that that could be a sticking point for those groups that are going to say hey we cannot reverse discriminate or we can't prioritize on the basis of race however the caveat that they recommended in this paper uh, recommended a different scoring system that's called the area deprivation index which is very similar to that social
1: uh, vulnerability index
0: however it takes away the um Demographic, or, or takes away the yeah. It doesn't
1: explicitly prioritize based on race.
0: Exactly right. It takes away that that um, racial category. Therefore, you know, we could hopefully use that to prioritize distribution of the vaccine.
1: Right. You know, this. this um, and, and I know we're talking about vaccine distribution. This actually is still related to, to COVID nineteen. Uh, several months back, in, in the in the state of Massachusetts, which was looking like California is right now with regards to the number of ICU beds, there was a question, kind of like what we're talking about right now with regards to who gets an ICU bed. And in reference to this transparency and why it's important to, to, to talk about this, th- they had come up with a algorithm for um, who gets a ICU bed. And the algorithm actually didn't in- incorporate race. Um... And it was a it was a point scale and if you had more comorbidities, you actually get less points. And so there's folks who are not at the table who said, Wait a minute, you're saying if people have heart disease, they're they're less important to, to get a you know, a ventilator. Um, and so after some rumbling from residents from attending, um, Massachusetts actually changed course. Um, so it, it goes to the point that you had mentioned earlier about, like, who's at the table. And, and we need to make sure that we're, we are at these tables because when there is something that this is important, right, which is vaccinating, you know, a good 60 to 70 percent of the country, it's important that we're trying to think as equitably as possible. And, and considering the nuances laden with race, ethnicity, Again, things that, that are socially constructed like race, but unfortunately have mi- played a major impact on outcomes. So I think their idea of the area deprivation index is a good one. And again, it, it, it's going to be we're talking a lot in in, in a little academic uh, you know exercise here. But how do we relate this to the general public, right? Because the general public is not going <laughs> to care about wait, what's ADI, what's FBI. What are you talking about? Ethical principles, you know. You're this is this is similar to Tuskegee or similar to things that are happening now with regards to um, OB/GYNs, you know, in in jail systems euthanizing women. Like like there's there's an importance here to be able to speak clearly and uh, succinctly to explain why it's important that we get as many people vaccinated as possible and also secondarily it's really important that folks who are most vulnerable and I think that's what I that's what I say most often when I'm talking to my family or or friends it's like we're at super high risk with regards to contracting this um, disease and having worse outcomes from it Um, and this is why it's important and why I you know, feel comfortable getting the vaccine um, and why you should feel comfortable getting the vaccine. Cause I, cause I think it can get lost in between the academic ivory tower, then to the street level. Yeah. How do how do I explain this to, you know, a massive number of people?
0: Yeah, but I, I I don't want it to be lost. I think the, the significance that um, this opinion piece in JAMA is actually raising this question, which I think it's. It's a great start to the conversation. We've looked thus far on how you received the vaccine, being in the group 1A. Mm -hmm. We looked at the recommendations for distribution of this vaccine. We talked about the potential for prioritizing those that have been worse or affected the worst by this deadly pandemic. But let's take a look at what it's like on the ground. Right? I know you were talking earlier about the, the NBA because they had a bunch of players in the bubble, right? And they were right. testing people. What was that? Uh you mind sharing that email yeah, yeah. from the NBA? Yeah, so uh two,
1: two um parallel parallel stories. So one, who do the NFL first? So the NFL, um, its season's been going on, they're they're about to ramp up into the playoffs. Every team has been able to get coronavirus
0: Starts close two, uh, testing daily. Right, you got to say it correct, or uh, Doctor Drummond's gonna send us some hate. Mail. I, I know. <laughs> so they've been testing. They've been testing daily
1: for months. Right, where you have some cities. Remember New York City? Teachers are actually like, "Hey, can we get tested once a month?" These, you know, NFL players been getting tested daily. That's that's one group. The NBA, yes, it had the bubble right in, in um, beautiful Florida for their playoffs. And now they uh, restart their, their season again. And there was a memo sent out uh, a couple of weeks ago stating we as the M- MBPA, National Basketball Players Association, so that's their union, we will not skip the line with regards to getting the COVID-19 vaccine because we know that the CDC has recommendations And there are different phases, and we are not a part of Phase 1A. Um, And that's very important that they put that out there because they're kind of setting the standard for what it's supposed to look like for a national organization that really does have billions of dollars behind it. How are they going to remain ethical, and how are they going to remain equitable? Um, So I think it's it's a very important um, statement by the, the National Basketball Players Association and the NBA to indicate... We're not going to cut the line. And now we segue that to there are <laughs> unfortunate stories now about how not NBA or NFL players, but, you know, uh, those who are doing quite financially well, figuring out ways to skip ahead of the line and getting the vaccine in the 1A group, even though they don't necessarily belong in that 1A group.
0: Absolutely. This is uh ending on this uh article which is featured in the washington post i don't want to get sued by mentioning anybody's name so i'm just going to stick with the washington post and it, and it deals with the story of the, the title of the article is wealthy donors received vaccines through florida nursing home and it talks about this nursing home community or, or company it's called morse life which i just looked at their website it offers five-star senior living it's in beautiful south florida palm beach so i'm sure it's very elegant uh, retirement community. So essentially what happened down in South Florida were donors to this retirement community received personal invitations from representatives of that community to come down to the nursing home or the high-end assisted living facility to receive the vaccine ahead of schedule. As uh, Kevin mentioned earlier, over 65 years of age assisted living communities is uh, Group 1A to receive the vaccine. However, these people did not actually live in these long-term care facilities. And the story is very well documented in the Washington Post. They received a personal invitation, came down, and were able to get vaccinated without waiting in line. Are you surprised, uh, Kevin? You know,
1: unfortunately, I am not surprised given the, the society that we live in. And then also, when you think about That subsection of Group 1A, right, nursing home. These are some. What's what's actually surprising is the fact that there's somebody within that, like, organization or that nursing facility that works there that said this isn't right, and we're going to somehow get this to the Washington Post. So I applaud whoever that person is, because the reality is when you have folks who are in nursing home. A fair majority of them, or a fair number of them, i a say a fair number of them are going to be folks that have major neurocognitive disorder. So that's like dementia, Parkinson's dementia, Alzheimer's, um, and may not be able to speak up for themselves and may not be able to to recognize if they are or are not getting a vaccine. Um, So the fact that, again, somebody alerted the post and they made light of this um, is important because it, it sends a signal to other facilities like this, don't try and do this um, because, of yeah. course, it's going to continue to probably happen. Um, and, and, you know, even I can say at, at my hospital, um, you know, it, if people were asking, oh, you know, I'm getting this vaccine, I live with a, a partner and my partner get it, right? And the hospital administration said, no, this is for those who are workers in the hospital. Right. It could have very well been that, oh, yeah, hey, bring your wife, bring your son, bring your cousin. But then that, that circumvents the whole point of having different phases. Um, and so, you know, I can, I, I can see for myself, right? So my wife is, is a hospitalist. She works at a different hospital in Boston who is having um, the vaccine distributed. But my wife's also pregnant. And so she, she at this time, has not decided to get the vaccine. She may, she may not. I, I don't know, but um, it, it, it goes to show that we're, we, at least for us, we're, we're saying that we have to do this in, in the right fashion. So I did get it. I see a lot of people. She hasn't gotten it, partly due to the pregnancy and wanting to get more information about it. Um, but, but there's a lot of people who are out there who might say, oh, you know what, um, yeah, I, I'm a donor to, to this facility. Let me just fly down on my jet you know get it quickly um so again wh- whoever that person the whistleblower is from, from that organization uh more power to them because this is probably happening in more places than, than we recognize um as tends to be the case when things are um profiled in the news um so you know again more power to that person
0: yeah and, and reading the story i mean you guys really check it out um, let's hit up a washington post about some sponsorship but um, it sounds like some of the materials came from the individuals involved themselves. Like they were literally saying, oh, this is how I got vaccinated. They got an invitation. Now they've donated between 45,000 for one case and 75,000 to this senior living home. And uh, one of the per- people involved was a member of the, was a member of a country club down there in Florida. And, you know, he said he didn't think all 300 members of the club actually invited down to get the vaccine but that he and his wife applied to get immunized and they were accepted they went down there and, and got the vaccine and it's almost like they you know they kind of bent the rules to the point that these folks didn't even seem to feel bad about what they did like almost like they didn't think they did anything wrong right yeah i mean you know
1: but- and I know we're probably coming uh, to the end of our our episode here, but even thinking about the pictures that you've been seeing of different personnel, right? So again, this whole phase 1A, clinical personnel. I'm not sure how many, you know, United States senators and representatives are doing clinical work, yet yet you see a lot of pictures of, of them receiving the vaccine. Now, part of that could be they're trying to demonstrate Rate for their constituents, this is safe. I can't argue with that. Yet, I, just looking at what's written by the CDC, it did not seem to suggest that you know, um, you know, uh, uh, pol- policymakers and or politicians are right. accounted for in that first wave. But I understand they are elected officials, and so again, if, if if they represent a district in the Bronx or they represent a district in, in Chicago, perhaps by getting it, they are demonstrating to their constituents this is state and, you know, you're a vulnerable population. So so I understand it. But again, this is where the ethics come in. Um, and and it, this is a great question that, that we've been trying to talk about here today. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and just the dichotomy of seeing, that's why I made a big deal in the, in the beginning about how they verified Uber Group 1A for you to receive the vaccine, right? They kind of knew that she worked at the hospital. It wasn't hard to look up. But the further you get away from that, it gets a little little loose, right? We went through the different recommendations for how it was distributed, but those recommendations eventually make it to the state level, and then the state has a lot of say over how they distribute the vaccine to the different counties. So it's really a trickle-down effect that if you want to get involved and effect change, you can really do it at at multiple levels, whether it's at national level with the Advisory Council on Immunization Practices, you can actually look up and see who all is on that um, organization. You can get involved at the state level or your county level and and get involved. You can be at the table and see what long-term care facility is getting how much of the vaccine, which local pharmacy is going to be administering and then when the vaccine is actually being distributed, how do you verify that the folks that are in group 1A, group 1B are actually the folks that are getting the vaccine? Now, it, it gets tough, but the more granular you get. Um, but in the absence of regulation, we're going to see more and more situations like this occur. Right. Right. So I've had an
1: idea that, that clearly will not like come to fruition, but... Um, in reference to how we get a lot of people vaccinated, I've actually thought about like our, our current um, voting um, apparatus in the United States, and how you know if if you're if you're a Democrat or Republican in a certain district and, and it's voting time, you get you get call after call after call after call. I I do actually wonder if that would be something that would be reasonable. Um, with regards to ensuring as many people that meet the different um, demographics among the different phases, would it be appropriate to say, oh, you know, here's a phone call. We're just letting you know that the vaccine's available. You can go to this site to get it. Because again, I, I think there are going to be a lot of people who get the vaccine, but there's going to be a lot of people who don't get it, who maybe do want it, um, but aren't yeah. connected and, and don't know how to, to reach out. Um, so I, I, I do think that. Um, kind of talking about potentially other strategies that are out there. Not to say clearly we're going to go through the the, the different phases, but just some other ideas that I've heard um, kind of bounced around um, could potentially be interesting.
0: Yeah, that's a a thought. Um, I think we have a little bit of time for organizations to figure out how to do this. You know, I think this initial rollout was very small and limited in the grand scheme of things, right? It doesn't seem like it, because all we see on uh, social media are us and our coworkers getting vaccinated, but right. compared to the rest of the population, we've still got a long, long, long way to go. So this is a test. This is a, this is a, a trial run. Right, right, right. It's important for folks, you know, if you're in you know, group 1B, C, or even group 2, look at your local public health department, look at your state that's going to really give you the information you need to find out when and where you can get vaccinated.
1: Hopefully over time, um, because, you know, we're we're primarily talking about Pfizer and Moderna, there's a third vaccine being developed by Johnson & Johnson, um, who I believe will only be one injection that's required. Um, So hopefully, you know, more vaccines are able to, to be manufactured and that we really can get, um, an overwhelming majority of people that need to be vaccinated um, vaccinated, so that way we can, you know, resume somewhat of a normal um, life with regards to, you know, socially engaging the people again um, in, in the way that we wanted to, that we couldn't do uh, this holiday season.
0: So it's been a couple of weeks since Kevin and I recorded this episode, and since then, a lot has changed with regards to COVID-19 vaccine distribution, namely the headlines across the country that are telling of thousands of doses of the COVID-19 vaccines that are being discarded because there aren't enough patients that are showing up to vaccinate. Basically, the story goes that so many doses are allocated For X number of patients, whether in a long term care facility or emergency department or hospital. And at the end of the day, if all those doses are unused, then they've been defrosted and they're no longer good uh, to make it for another administration opportunity. So all these doses end up in the trash can, which is a pretty egregious waste of such a precious resource. You know, we waited so long to have this available. And unfortunately, now we're inefficient when it comes to administering these vaccinations. There's not yet a solid number of how many doses of vaccine, of COVID-19 vaccines are being discarded or wasted across the United States since the rollout began. But the World Health Organization back in 2005 actually had some numbers that up to 50% of the vaccines that are released globally each year end up discarded because of supply chain issues. That's not enough freezer space or issues with transportation. The mechanisms and infrastructure for dissemination of this COVID-19 vaccine, they need to adapt faster than they are currently. Thankfully, certain health systems and state health departments have begun to adapt and change their methodology for administering these vaccinations. We have situations where, like in New York, where Governor Cuomo actually loosened the rules that initially designated COVID 19 vaccines to frontline healthcare workers and residents of retirement homes. And he kind of loosened these rules to allow leftover vaccinations to be provided to other folks that don't necessarily meet the 1A, maybe 1B classification system. There's actually an article in NBC News talks about a, an emergency department in Ohio where a team came to provide vaccinations. There weren't enough patients that showed up to be vaccinated. There is a request made from the personnel there in the emergency department to vaccinate other at-risk patients or people that desired the vaccines. The group that was administering the vaccines said, "No, this is against our policy." Right, so they they acted according to their uh, standard operating procedure. This uh, story talks about an emergency medicine physician who went up the chain of command at the hospital to obtain um, permission uh, to have these doses of vaccine administered, and by the time he went up the chain of command, the doses had expired, the team that was administering the vaccination had departed. So nationally, we're starting to see that this vaccine rollout across the U.S. has been victim of poor planning um, and this distribution system that needs to be revamped and reworked to ensure that We are efficiently administering the doses of this vaccine that we do have. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. We will definitely continue to monitor this developing situation as more and more COVID-19 vaccinations become available. Dr. Simon, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll definitely be talking with you soon. Yeah, Dr. Bradley, anytime. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Ethically Sourced a supplement of the Black Doctors podcast where we focus on presenting information and resources that can proactively improve the care our patients receive. We hope that by generating these discussions on clinical medical ethics and culturally competent care, we will have a positive impact on the lives of patients that look like us.